scriptures uh, tonight. John chapter 16, John's Gospel chapter 16. And John's first epistle, chapter 4. So John's Gospel, first of all, chapter 16. Verse 33, uh, Jesus speaking, saying, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then 1 John 4, verse 4, John writes, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. When astronomers first went into space, they were amazed when they saw that glittering sapphire earth hung against the black velvet sky of outer space. And they termed it the blue planet. Because of our oceans and our atmosphere around it gives it that bluish glow. And so far as we know, it is the most beautiful planet in the whole of the universe, and I believe that it is. And what a tragedy that this God's jewel in the crown of all of his creation, what a tragedy that it is a rebel planet. What a tragedy that it has disowned its maker and king, and instead has crowned an imposter, the devil, Satan, that evil, malevolent one whom Jesus said is the prince of this world, that Paul said was the God of this world. John says that the whole world lies in wickedness. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so that's the world that we live in today. And it's an evil world. And it's an evil day that we live in. It's an evil day when the most dangerous place for a baby is in its mother's womb. More babies die, are killed deliberately, consciously in their mother's wombs than anywhere on the face of the earth. It is an evil day whenever men commit the most heinous of crimes and walk away scot-free because of some perceived infringement of their human rights. It's an evil day. Whenever homosexuals parade our streets with pride instead of shame and that our citizens go out and cheer them along the way, it's an evil day. It's an evil day when children are afraid to play in the streets, when the elderly are frightened of being robbed in their very homes, when women dread walking along a street at night alone. It's an evil day. But thank God in the midst of this rebellious, sin-sick, 
scary, evil world that we inhabit. Thank God there is a growing band of people, and it is a growing band, who believe in God, who trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus, who are filled with His Holy Spirit, to whom God declares, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. If that statement was not in the Bible, we would despair tonight. But thank God, it's there for us. Now what does the Bible talk about when it says the world in these scriptures we have just read? It's not talking about planet Earth per se. It's talking about the system, the spirit that governs this world. Remember Jesus said that Satan's the prince of this world. Paul says he's the God of this world. And that's the spirit. This is the earth in its fallen state with all of its diseases and its corruption and its decay and its rebellion, its lawlessness that attacks our our bodies our minds and our homes and our families and our finances and everything about us. Now should we live in dread of that? Should we be worried sick about it? Should that defeat us and make us defensive and retreat? Absolutely not. Because we are assured of an answer. John 16, 33. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be worried sick, be defeated, be depressed about it. No, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Can somebody say amen to that? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me just briefly tonight, it's hot, it's summertime, I don't want to unduly keep you, but let me just for a little bit tonight give you some helps, keys you may want to call them, to help us to overcome the world that we live in. Because the world that we live in is against us, and we're against it. We're swimming against the tide of immorality, of lawlessness and everything. Every single time you turn on the TV, it hits you up the face. And in the country that we live in, thank God for it, but increasingly as Christians, as we always say, we are coming under more attacks than than has been in generations against us. Everything we believe and hold dear is under attack. So first of all, first thing to realize that you were born to be an overcomer. God intends us to overcome in this world. Here's the scripture, 1 John 5 and 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's your birthright. Whatever is born of God. We are born again of the Spirit of God. And so part of our birthright as being born again believers is that we can overcome the world. God has planned for you to overcome the world that's coming against you. That you'd be victorious over the world that's coming against you. And it's coming against you every single day of your life. So if we can't overcome this, then we're done for. But thank God there's such scriptures in the Bible that encourages us and tells us that we can overcome. Now, you may disagree. You may say, well, I'm not too sure. You may cop out and say, well, I can't. 
But the Bible clearly declares, declares whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Paul said, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Paul says we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So there you have it. We are beyond excuse. Yeah, we know the devil is subtle. We know that he's crafty. We know that he's a very powerful being. We know that he's wily in every way. But we're not defenseless against him. And we're not defenseless against his ways. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So realize that you were born to overcome. Let me put that another way. Realize you're born again to overcome. It took the second birth, didn't it? It took the new birth. Secondly, put your faith to work. 1 John 5 and 4, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even what? Even our faith. That quality that God has put in every single believer. Now, I'm not talking about natural faith. You go to sit down in that chair, you don't even look at it. You just believe that it's going to hold your weight up. That's natural human faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that quality of faith that even God has got. The God kind of faith. That's what God has imparted to your born-again spirit. To believe Him. To trust Him. It's a gift of God to us so that we can trust our Heavenly Father. That we can trust His Son. That's what He has given us. A boxer uses his fist. A runner uses his leg. A footballer uses his feet. A tennis player, Rachel, is supposed to use the racket. And Mr. Nadal today was soundly whipped, totally and utterly defeated. And Rachel is mourning. <laughs> she so wanted him to win today, but I'm sorry he lost. But he'll fight another day, won't he? He surely will. There you go. <laughs> Couldn't resist getting that in. But a believer uses his greatest asset, the thing that God has imparted supernaturally to his born-again spirit, that thing called faith, the ability to quietly and confidently trust in the living God. Against everything the world has got to throw at you. It cannot and will not defeat the person who trusts in God, who puts her faith in the Son of God. So realize that you're born to overcome. Put your faith to work. And then thirdly, and vitally important, hide the Word of God in your heart. 1 John 2.14 I have written to you, young men. You young ladies, you can include yourselves in that if you like. I have written to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. See the key? Because the word of God 
abides in you. How is the word of God ever going to abide in us if we do not read and meditate the word of God? Whatever you think about the most, whatever you read the most, that's what's going to stick with you the most. And if your whole week is filled with these standards or sport or whatever it may be in TV, and I, I'm not against TV, but if that's all you put into your heart and you don't get the word of God into it, when the evil day comes and the word comes against you, you can't fight it. You need to hide the word of God in your heart. Psalm 119.9 How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119.11 The psalmist says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, that's the weapon that we use. Paul called it the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. So when the enemy comes along with a fiery dart of temptation, a fiery dart of a wrong action he tempts you to do, a fiery dart of whatever, you can put that shield of faith up. How do you get faith? Faith by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing how? Hearing by the word of God. If you haven't got the word of God in your heart, you've got to put that shield of faith up, it'll be about that size. Fiery darts will soon get through that. What did Jesus use in the wilderness temptations? Was it not the word of God? Did he not say it is written? And even when the devil quoted scripture, and of course he always twists what he quotes, what did Jesus do? It is written again. Over and over and over again. That was the one weapon he used against the evil one. So if he had to do that, guess where that leaves us? And so it helps enormously to overcome in your life if the word of God is hidden in your heart. Then when it comes, you're facing that trial, that temptation, that difficulty, then that word will begin to come up in your thoughts and in your mind. And you'll get strength from it. It'll help you to be strong in the face of it. And fourthly, look to the greater one inside you. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater one lives inside you by his Spirit. Now, by the way, who's the them that he's speaking about here? You have overcome them. Well, John on his day was dealing with all kinds of false teachings, false doctrines, doctrines of devils, the Bible calls them, all kinds of false teachers, false apostles. One of the things the church in Revelation, the Ephesus in Revelation 2, was commended for was that they could spot a false apostle a mile away. And so he's dealing with all kinds of seducing spirits, spirit of error, isms and schisms and all kinds of stuff. And today, we live in a world that is full of falseness and error. 
and doctrines of devils. And I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking about inside Christendom. That great big umbrella that everything comes under. And sadly and tragically, that it has not only come from what is the liberal way of the church or the modern language, but it's coming into the evangelical church. Do you know that one of the, one of the big debates today, believe it or believe it not, and it's coming to Bible schools, where theologians and even some evangelicals supposedly is taking this up, where when it comes to the story of Adam and Eve, to them it's just a story. It's an allegory. It's a metaphor for something. God's wanting to get something across, so he, he's made up this story about a couple called Adam and Eve in a so-called garden, a beautiful paradise. Now the trouble is then, uh, people say, well, if that's not real, what is real? If we can't trust that, what can we trust? And that's the danger. And there's been some folks who went particular Bible schools, thank God there's not many in this country, particular Bible schools, and they have got their head full of that stuff and they came out believing less than they went in. All kinds of strange stuff is being taught today, which really is doing a lot of damage in people's lives. The whole thing of creation has come under tremendous attack. Thank God there's a fight back. There's a big fight back at the moment against all that attack against creation, against the first 11 chapters, particularly of Genesis. And if, if we struggle to believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis, what are we going to believe? What about the first four chapters of Matthew? Is that true? Is that right? Where does that leave us? So either this book is right, either it is infallible, it is inerrant, or it's not. And if it isn't, we can't believe it. And somebody say amen to that. It's either true or it's not true. Now I grant you, there's some of it you can only believe by faith. By saying, this is the word of God. I can't understand it fully. I don't know how the Red Sea opens. I don't know how that happens. But it happened. Because God said it happened. And if Jesus himself in the New Testament takes an illustration from the Old Testament, you can be absolutely sure that what you've read in the Old Testament is right. It's not just a story, it's fact. But that's what we're up against today. That's the world that the Bible talks about. That wants to undermine your belief and your faith. Wants to weaken what you believe and what you trust in so that you begin to doubt everything and your faith begins to crumble. That's what the enemy of your soul wants to do. And let me tell you, particularly young Christians, I keep saying this from this pulpit, particularly at school and university, you will be challenged again and again and again. I was just told just last week, a mother told me that her young daughter, young girl now, but not but 15, 16, something like that, that she had to stand in the middle of her class against an RE teacher and challenge what her RE teacher just said about abortion. <laughs> Can you believe it? In this country? 
So, so we need to stand on this word. We need to know this word. We need to get it into our hearts. We need to believe that Christ is in us, the greater one's inside of us, because we are going to be challenged greatly. But thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And then learn the secret of Revelation 12 and 11. What is that? You may say, well, here's what the scriptures say. And they overcame him, that's the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Hmm. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That speaks of a cross. The cross is very, very important to believers. It's foremost and central. It's the heart of everything we preach and everything we believe. And we must never, ever get away from the cross. Let's never stray far from the cross. That's where it began. That's where it ends. It's a hub of all. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Thinking about the cross, in Psalm 69, you may want to look at this. Psalm 69. Now here in the middle of this psalm, there is a a messianic prophetic statement and you'll begin to recognize it as we read it. I know David's writing about himself but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit it's going to be very obviously speaking about Christ. Listen to it. Verse 19. You know my reproach, my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also give me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they give me vinegar to drink. Does that jog your memory? What happened around the cross? Then he said, let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. In John 19, verse 28 Jesus being crucified. And after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Fully knowing what he's doing, knowing he's saying this to fulfill everything that was prophesied about him. Now a vessel full of sour wine or vinegar, it may say in the AV, 
was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. In Matthew 27, 34, it talks about vinegar mixed with gall. Just before he went onto the cross and refused it. But here to fulfill all scripture. The very last thing, only one thing he had to do to fulfill all scripture. He said, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar to drink. When he took it, he said, it is finished. And he gave up the spirit. Psalm 69, speaking of this time, said, let me just read it to you again. Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. That's interesting. And I'll tell you why it's interesting. It's because, do you remember how that when they finally decided the religious authorities that they had to do something about Jesus. So many miracles were happening. It was the talk of the whole country. You remember what they said? They said, now listen, if this continues, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to take our nation from us. And what they were really cared about was their well-being in other words, we might lose our privileged positions as priests and high priests and all the rest of it. And so Caiaphas, the high priest at that time, said, here's what we'll do. He said, it is expedient that one should die for the whole nation. Even though they knew he was totally innocent, even though they had to bribe somebody to bring a false accusation against him, they were prepared to put Jesus to death, an innocent man, for their well-being, pretending it's for the whole nation. And then it goes on to say, actually, that he prophesied this. So that lets us know that actually God had a hand in this. <laughs> Everything that Jesus went to the cross, God had a hand in it. Now, when Jesus went to the cross... When he went to the tree to die for you and for me, God turned that tree into a trap. <clears throat> it was a trap for them. It was a trap for the devil. It was a trap for the evil one. You say, well, hold on a minute. Did they not know about these things? You know, surely these were smart men who knew the Bible and all the rest of it. Surely the devil would know these things. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory." They didn't know. 
But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love them. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, and so forth. And so here is the devil, here is these religious scribes and Pharisees hating this Jesus of Nazareth, hating this so-called Messiah, they decide to put him on a tree. And all those hundreds of years prior to that, in Psalm 69, the psalmist prophetically said, by the Spirit, even though he didn't know it was, thinking about his own situation, never realizing this is a bigger, bigger implication, said, let their table become a trap. Let what they think is there for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let it become a snare to them. See, the cross is the central issue. What Satan thought was the end of Jesus of Nazareth was the end of him. That was the death sentence passed upon him. Now he's waiting his execution. You have to go away to Revelation to find that out. Still waiting on that. But the death sentence has already been passed. It's irrevocable. He will be cast into the lake of fire which burns forever and forever. You still with me? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Speaks of a cross. And by the word of their testimony, that speaks of a confession, doesn't it? What did they confess? That Jesus is Lord. It's easy for us to say that, isn't it? I mean, that just rolls off the tip of the tongue. I was reading this afternoon about a pastor in Turkey who was beaten to an inch of his life by 30 Muslim men with baseball bats and hammers because of his testimony for Jesus. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And even though there will be some people who will physically die as martyrs, but their spirit and their soul live on forever. And they'll be welcomed into the gates of glory <laughs> with great triumph. Because <laughs> the enemy couldn't ultimately overcome them. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. There you have it. That speaks of a commitment. No greater commitment than that. Sure there's not. And probably none of us will ever have to pay that ultimate price. There's more martyrs in this, this generation that we live in than there's ever been. More people are dying for their faith in Christ than there's ever been. Say, so I'm glad I don't live in some of those countries. Well, they are our brothers and sisters and we need to pray for them. Because they have a lot to overcome. And then finally close with this. Romans 12 tells us to overcome 
evil with good. Romans chapter 12, and we'll read it from verse 17. Paul said, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now we know that some men won't allow us to live peaceably with them because they don't want peace. But as much as possible on our part, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There will be situations in all of our lives where we will have the choice and the option to overcome wrong with right, overcome bad with good, overcome the evil. We'll have that choice. And the apostle encourages us to make that choice so that we can overcome in the world that we live in. In Luke chapter 5, And this is our last scripture. I'm going to leave that scripture because if I get into it I'm going to be longer than I intended to I'm trusting and I'm believing that you got the message that you're in this world but you're not of it and every single day you're out there facing it and it's coming against everything you hold holy and true that you've got the power to overcome it in Christ You've got the power to overcome it because of the Word of God, because of the Spirit of God. You've got the power to overcome it because of your testimony, because of your confession, what you believe. You've got the power to overcome it. Amen? I don't know what you're going to face today. You'll last Sunday night preach from this pulpit, preach his heart out. He didn't know the next day he was going to get a phone call it was going to devastate a family. That's the world that we live in. That's the stuff that we have to face continually. But they will overcome it because they're in Christ, because they're holding on to Jesus, because they're reading into his word, because the word of God is hidden in their hearts. And through all of the turmoil of life, they will hold on and they will come through in victory. And you will do the same. <clears throat> If this word of God is hidden in your heart, you will do the same. You will be blessed. You will overcome. And you'll win in the battles of life. Amen?
Could you stand with me, please? We're nice and early tonight, you'll be glad to hear. See, now I've been a very uh, thoughtful pastor to you tonight in all this heat. Hope you remember that now when it's in the cold nights when I preach for two hours. <laughs> I'm only joking. Lord, we bless you tonight and we thank you for the encouragement that your word gives to us. And Lord, within ourselves we're nothing, we're weak, we're useless, but in Christ we can do all things. In Christ we can overcome the world that we live in. And so help us, Lord, to trust you, to believe in you, to put you first. Lord, in all the decisions of our life, all the major things that we've got to choose and decide, Lord, help us to put you first in it all. <clears throat> and Lord, even though this word will try to sway us and, and influence us, Lord, and, and try to come against us to beat us down, but Lord, it will look to your word and your promises. And we'll say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful unto you. Give me the grace, give me the strength to say, yes, Lord. I'm going to trust you in the face of it all. And Lord, when I come through it, it'll be you who will receive the honor and the glory. So Lord, bless us, Lord, as we go into a working week and Lord, our various jobs and homes and wherever we may go. We pray, Lord, at your presence, that your spirit will be with us. And Lord, that somehow we will influence men and women for Christ by how we live and by the words that we speak. So thank you for this day in your house. It's been good for us to be in the house of the Lord and to be in your presence. Bless us as we part tonight, going with your goodness and your grace, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.